Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Good morning. Well, the end of daylight savings time. Whoever came up with this idea was not a parent of little kids, right? Like they didn't get the memo. Hey, you get to sleep in an extra hour. No, nope. So maybe they'll want to go to bed an hour early. I don't know if it works that way. So here we are. Hey, I have an idea. I'm not uh, very political, but I think that we should start a movement to like meet in the middle with daylight savings time. Like, let's just like move it 30 minutes and be set, right? Like none of this like back and forth and just throws everything off. You're early to church this, well, none of you actually, you could have been early to church today and then you're gonna have a really good excuse about six months from now on, oh yeah, it was, yeah, I didn't show up till 11.30, acting like you don't always show up late. Anyways, so. I am excited to teach this morning. Um, this is one of my favorite things to teach. I've, I've taught kind of around it a bit uh, on Sunday mornings, um, but never have we like gone into it as a series. And so Lauren and I actually have probably for over a decade been teaching some of the stuff that we'll, we'll teach you uh, over the next few weeks. Um, and it's really, really simple, um, but we've been sharing it um, in premarital counseling and uh, also in leadership development stuff. And I, I, what I realized in the last few years is how much, like it took a, a tweak for me to wrap my mind around it, but how much it actually um, impacts our relationship with God. And so um, I'll, I wanna share this morning with you just a little bit about my journey of learning to live loved, learning to receive the love of God. Um, and then I'll, I'll let you know um, a little bit about the, the one law of the new covenant. How many of you like 613 is just a bit too much? In fact, I struggle with three, but one, I, th- I think I could do that. And so um, we'll make things really, really simple. What is the one thing that you're supposed to do um, to follow Jesus? And then uh, we're going to uh, wrap it up with just a, a few keys to receiving. Sound good? So uh, um, um, uh, yeah. I'm excited. God is here. He loves to be in the midst of his people. And I love, I love the way that he shows up. Chris and Natalie, great job leading this morning, you guys. Our gift team. Way to go. Way to go. Awesome. So here's a, a, a few thoughts for you. Well, for me growing up, I thought this, that spiritual maturity was proven by how much you know, right? Like it's like the guys that really, they can unpack scripture. Oh man, that guy's really, really mature. And maybe you can sprinkle a little love on that. Maybe they love well. It seemed to me that the examples sometimes that I had were people that could unpack scripture really, really well, but I would not want to be in the same room with them, right? Like I'd not necessarily would want to share a dinner table with them. And so I realized this, that spiritual maturity is actually not about how much you know, but it's about how comfortable you are with love. Spiritual maturity is not about how much you know, it's about how comfortable you are with love. And every bit that we know, if it does not lead us into love, 
actually misleads us into religion. But when we become comfortable with love, it changes everything. It's actually the love of God that causes scripture to come alive in our hearts and our lives. It's the love of God that begins to transform us into the image of Christ. How many of you know that had you spent time with Jesus regularly when he was walking the earth, you would have seen miracles and been amazed. You would have heard incredible teaching and been moved. But the thing that would have stuck with you, the thing that would have marked your life would not have been those things. It would have been his love. It would have been the way that he lived and carried love with him everywhere that he went. You see, those things, the miracles, the teaching, the healing, the prophetic words that unlocked people's lives, all of those things were rooted in his love. They were all simply an expression of his love pointed at specific people in specific problems, issues, needs, headed in a direction that he wanted to impact with his love. And see, when we get it backwards, when we think it's really about how much we know, then we move that into how much we can do for God. Right? It's like, if I really, really love God, then I'm going to do a lot of good stuff. Isaiah says this about my good stuff and your good stuff, that it's like filthy rags. God's not impressed with what we can do. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching and he says this, that some of you will come to me in that day, the day of the Lord, the day of his return, and you'll say this to me. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And he'll say this, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because I did not know you. Jesus was not saying that healing the sick, casting out demons is wrong or bad, but that it's actually illegal when it's not done, rooted in relationship with him, rooted in love for him. So when we begin to wrap our minds around love, actually, let me change that. When we begin to wrap our hearts around his love, it begins to change all that we do. It begins to mark us. And so what I've found in my own life Based on my history on, and on my wiring, I wanted to earn the love of God. You ever been there? It's like, what can I do? What can I give up? I'll go be a missionary. I did that. I'll, I'll like stop these things. I'll give this money. I'll do all of these things in order to love God well. But what I realized is that I was working the wrong end of the equation. You see, none of those things are bad but they're actually always meant to be an overflow. You see, a lot of times what we try to do is bear the fruit of love without living a life that is loved. And when we live loved, what we find is that fruit just shows up. It's not done by striving, it's actually done by receiving. And so then I'm not having to mimic what somebody else does. Say, oh, well, you know, that guy, he, he prays like three hours a day. I need to be like that. Or, or that person, man, they are so generous. They give everything they have. Or that person, they show up early to church all the time and serve. I've got to do all of these things 
And I find myself striving and burnt out because I'm working for love instead of from love. And you see, in the last series we taught, we talked about uh, getting unstuck. And the key to getting unstuck was to stop living over here from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to living over here rooted in the tree of life. And when we hang out in the tree of life, what happens is that we actually experience the love of God. And from there, we overflow love. You see, when we live in the love of God, what we find is that we have something to give. How many of you know this, that you can't give what you haven't received? And so many of us are living over here saying, God, would you love me for my good works? Would you love me for my generosity? I know the Bible inside and out. Would you just love me? And God's saying, yeah, oh, I love you so much that I'm not impressed with that. I want you to just come rest and live over here. And most of us have no clue how to live in the love of God. And so we find ourselves stuck in strife. And God will visit you in that place because he wants to deposit in you an invitation to live over here. But what he won't do is allow you to stay stuck in this place. Because what he wants is for you to be loved by him so much so that you become like him. And then you display him to the world around you. You just bear good fruit, not out of strife, but actually out of trust. And so what we'll teach you, share with you in the next few weeks is, is a lot of our journey, what we've discovered in that. Let me just say this, that we don't have it down. We're still in process. Are you okay with me teaching something that I'm still learning? If you're not, then I can't teach you anything because I'm still learning. But what, what we want to share with you are three ways really to receive the love of God. I'll give them to you up front. You could write these down and study them and you could just leave after you get these three. The, the, first, the first way to receive the love of God is trust. Let me say this. I, I could call it faith. The reason why I'm not calling it faith is because some of us have gotten religious about the word faith. And so we, we don't understand that faith is not the substance that I carry, but it's a relationship that I'm in. It's this abiding trust in the person of God and his love and his care for me. You see, what, what trust does is it leads us into this place of surrender. And what it eradicates is selfishness or self-centeredness. See, a lot of the time we get stuck thinking I have to care for myself because nobody else does. And so then we make ourselves the object of everything, the center of it all. And we figure out ways both to take and to manipulate in order to get so that we can be okay on the inside. And what trust does is it, rest in the goodness of God, the character of God in such a way that my circumstances could not be okay, but I'm okay. My relationships may be a mess, but I'm okay. 
And so that's, that's the first key that we'll give you is talking about living in that place of, of surrender, in that place of trust. The, the second one we'll talk about next week is um, how humility attracts the grace of God, the love of God. And I, I lived a whole lot of my life in self-reliance thinking that I've got to take care of myself and I'm not going to let anybody else do it because I don't really need you. Spiritual maturity is in that paradigm. It's like, oh, if I'm really spiritually mature, I'll give without receiving. When you give without receiving, what you'll find yourself is burnt out. And then Lauren, on our third week, will talk uh, about gratitude and how gratitude becomes the antidote for self-condemnation. You can't fully receive what you're not grateful for. So let's first go to the, the law of love. Go with me to John chapter 13. Thank you, Kenny. Here's a, an interesting reality as we go there. Most of us treat others the way that we perceive God is treating us. Either that didn't make sense or it hit too hard. <laughs> Most of us treat others the way that we perceive God is treating us. I'd like to suggest if you have an anger issue, you probably have a perception of an angry God, a demanding God. If you have a fear issue, like anxiety and fear, you probably think God's out to get you. He could go on and on and on. Most of us treat others the way that we're perceiving God because we haven't received God for who he is and so we can't display him to other people. John chapter 13, start in verse 34. It says, a new command I give you. Say new command. You have to understand that this right here was enough to get Jesus stoned in his day because nobody was allowed to bring a new command. You could, you could clarify an old command, but to bring a new command meant this, that the old command was outdated, obsolete, not, no longer relevant. What we find is the writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 says this, that the law, the old command, is outdated, obsolete, and fading away, or soon will be obsolete. So when Jesus says, a new command I give you, what he's saying is, you may have heard something, but I'm going to tell you the way it really is. And when Jesus gives a new command, what you'll find is it sounds a whole lot like the old. The truth is, is that if you can receive the one new command, you'll fulfill all the old. But if you don't receive the old command, what you'll find yourself in is striving to please God. You'll find yourself moving back and forth like, oh, I feel really close to God. Oh, I feel like he's really distant. I, I feel like I didn't please him today. I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't spend time with him. I didn't do good deeds. I blah, 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 blah. And we'll find ourselves back and forth in our faith instead of rooted in him producing fruit. So a new command I give you, love one another. Sounds like the old command, right? In fact, when Jesus was teaching and the teachers of the law came to him and they said, what's the greatest commandment of the law? 
And see, most of us get thrown off because of what Jesus taught here. He said to love God with all that you are, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you, the, what we're taught is the new commandment, all we have to do is to love God and love others. The problem is Jesus was answering the question that was asked to him, which was to, to say what the most important law of the old command was. And so he was appropriately answering in a way that sounds similar to the new, but it's not actually the same. Are you with me? If, if, if you got questions, hang in there with me. I think I can answer them for you. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By everyone, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The phrase that changes everything is as I have loved you. You see, most of us have tried doing Christianity without the as I have loved you. We've tried doing Christianity by God love me because I love you. And so what we end up bringing to God is our own self efforts instead of his pure love reciprocated back to him. And so we find ourselves striving to produce something in order to earn the love of God. And then we find ourselves stuck in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, trying to give something to God when he's really saying, all I want you to do is to receive my love because you can't give what you haven't received. So as we begin to find ourselves rooted here, what we find is that we have got life that overflows because I've got the love of God. In fact, most of us, believe all we need to do is try harder, right? Like, I just really need to be a better person, right? Have you ever thought that? Like, man, I'm just not good enough. Blew that. God's gonna be really angry at me. And when we begin to think that way, we miss out on the love of God. And here's how great the love of God is, is that while you were enemies with him in your mind, while you were still a sinner, stuck in your mess, rebelling directly against God, God went after you. He said, I, I love you so much. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Not that God was so angry with the world, was he grieved? Absolutely. But it doesn't say he was so ticked off with you that he died for you. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. First John 4, 19 says this, that we love because he first loved us. You see, when we allow the love of God to penetrate our lives, it changes everything. Here's our problem. In the West, we're taught to live not from our hearts, but from our head. Right? So the, the love of God, I'm trying to make sense of it in order to receive it. The problem is, is that what God wants to do is do something in your heart that impacts the way that you think, not the other way around. You see, we're like, okay, let me get this thing figured out, right? Let me show you how, how simple it is. That's it. It's, it's, it's in this place of surrender, God. 
Oh, thank you that you love me. Thank you that I'm yours. Oh man, I really love you, God. Not because I have to, but because man, your love has so impacted me. Wow. You see, the apostle John, I used to think he was really arrogant because when he wrote the book of John, he calls himself the one that Jesus loved. You ever read that and thought, man, this guy is really full of himself. How come it's you and not me, huh? Here's the reality. He had encountered the love of God in a way that changed everything. There was no other way for him to identify himself as, except for the one that Jesus loved. If you have a disobedience problem, like you have a rebellion problem against God, it's rooted in the truth that you don't know the love of God. That's it. Your issues, sleeping around, your issue is pornography, your issue is greed, your issue is selfish ambition, your issue is your temper. Those are all symptoms of the reality that I don't know the love of God. I may have encountered the love of God. I may have a level of the love of God in me. But when I begin to recognize the, the love of God in me in such a way, it begins to transform everything. So much so that I become love. That that, that becomes what I carry. Now, here, here's our, our problem with this teaching, with the place that we can get stuck is that we can begin to think that if I am living here, oh God, you love me so much, I'm the one that Jesus loved, that it's all about me. Right, the temptation is to believe that it's all about me. That it's about what I, it's all about me receiving. And the, the problem with that line of thinking is that what Jesus says there in First John, or in John, 13, he says that we love the way that we've been loved. You see, you're not simply the recipient of God's love, the one that, that carries the love of God in you, but you are actually created to be a display of the love of God to the world around you. What God wants to do is put love in you so much so that you can't contain it, that it changes the whole world. And so what happens when our thinking moves into selfishness, what we begin to do, self-centeredness, is we, we begin to put ourselves in the center of God's love and we begin to miss the fact that he's actually not just doing something to me, but he wants to do something through me. And when I realize that he wants to do something through me, I realize this, that he's not trying to use me. We've, we've prayed the prayer, we've taught the, the message, God just wants to use you. He doesn't want to use you, he wants to, to move through you. He wants to partner with you. Those may seem like simple phrases, simple prepositions, but they matter a whole lot. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, God was already living in this perfect trinity of love. It, didn't, it doesn't say he created them in the image of him. He created them in the image of them. Meaning, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this divine dance of absolute selflessness and incredible love. 
Their problem, if they had one, was that they had so much love that they needed somebody to pour it out on. And so they create Adam first, not because they needed love and worship, but because they needed to give love away. Adam was actually invited to live inside of the love, circle of love of the Trinity. In that perfect union, Adam's problem, the reason why God said it's not good for man to be alone, is not that Adam was lonely. He was living in communion with the Trinity. Adam's problem is that he had no one to give his love to. He was receiving more than he could contain and he needed a place to pour it out. So then God pulled Eve out of him. They then had a problem. Now they've got this love and nowhere to give it. So they started having kids. And their problem, their real problem is that they bought into the lie that it wasn't enough because you have to receive it by faith. And what happened is, is that a lie, a liar weaseled his way in there or slithered his way in there and began to bring deception that that's not enough, that God's holding out on you. But when we begin to realize, hey, I'm okay, I'm loved by God. I'm more than okay, I got enough life to live and to overflow. Singles, let me just talk to you for a second. Many of you are here. I know some of you are spread across the room. Hey, if you're single here, would you raise your hand? All right. Keep your hand up. Hey, look around. You may find somebody. Fellas, let me say something to you. You are way outnumbered. So if you got a problem, it's yours. You may be the problem, all right? All the ladies said amen. amen. So let me talk to you. Do you want to get married because you're lonely or do you want to get married because you have so much love you need somebody to give it to? Because when I begin to realize how loved I am by God, then I'm not looking for somebody that can do something for me but I'm looking for somebody that I can share what God's put in me with. And when I begin to think, somebody can say amen, that's all right. We are in church, you can say amen. When I begin to think that I'm empty, then what happens is I enter into relationship, trying to get something instead of give something. And we wonder why our marriages are falling apart because I'm trying to use you to fill a need in me. Here's what happens. When I get loved by God and I receive his love, it changes my marriage because now I can live in that place of trust in such a way for Lauren and I, I'm not putting demand on her. I'm not trying to take something from her. I give to her from the overflow of my relationship with God then she gives to me from the overflow of her relationship with God. And what happens is we begin to meet each other's needs, not out of demand, but out of love, trust, and overflow. 
And so now it's like, hey, I, I can live with expectancy because we reciprocate, right? But I don't put expectation on her that was always meant to be on God. The demand is always on God and he can handle it because he's the source that never runs dry, right? Now he loves to love me through her. He loves to love me through you. But the demand is never on you. The demand is on him because he's the source that never runs dry. And so what happens is the reciprocation happens is that God loves to love us through other people, right? And so I'm not gonna demand that you love me in the way that I need it. Some of us have gotten thrown off by stuff like love languages where it's like, well, you have to do this for me. No, what we're doing by that is we're drawing a target on you and I can hit it as I want to because I'm free. If you're not free in relationship, then you're stuck. And the truth is, the more that I get to know you, the more I, I, and I, the more I love you, the more I want to hit that target. The more I learn what that target is and I want to hit it. Ladies, let me just talk to you all for a second. We can't read your mind. So you may have to draw the target on you for us. It's okay to talk about what loving you well looks like, seriously. And then not to demand it, but to trust. The same trust that I have this way with God to love me is the trust that I put here. I'll communicate it. In fact, one, one day, years ago, I was going to church. I didn't have any church responsibilities on a Sunday morning in those days. I woke up feeling really discouraged. You ever been there? I was learning about this stuff. And so what I did is I said, God, I'm feeling really discouraged. You should try, by the way, being honest with God about your emotions. He actually cares. That day, throughout the day, two at church and one later, random people came up to me and encouraged me. People that I was not close in relationship with that didn't know me well. Why? Because... I took my expectation to God and then I lived with expectancy to receive outside of God. You see, God loves to love us through other people. You've heard the story, right? The guy's in a flood and he's looking for rescue and he prays and he says, God, would you, would you rescue me? And God says, yes, I'll rescue you. The next day or the next few hours, a boat shows up. Hey, I'm here to rescue you. Oh no, I don't need you to rescue me because God said he was going to rescue me. A couple hours later, a helicopter shows up. Hey, we're here to rescue you. Oh no, I don't need God to rescue. I don't need you to rescue me because God's going to rescue me. How, how many of us live that way, right? It's like God actually gives us what we need and we won't receive it because it's not done in the way that we thought. But when we learn to move from expectation, this is what it looks like to Expectancy, God, I'll just let you, I just want you to love me. I, I do need your love today. I'll let you love me. And so the key is to live with faith. Faith is not a, simply a concept. It's not an agreement. It's not principles. It's trust in the person of God. I trust that you're going to take care of me. I trust that you're going to beat my needs. I trust that you're going to provide for me. I trust that you care about every facet of my life and every hair on your head. 
Yeah, Mark, you're with me, right? It's to know that you're not the source, right? That God's the source. And there's a source that never runs dry. But the other key is this, to know that you're not the end. See, what God's doing is he's maturing us so that we would look like him. First John 4 says it this way, as he is now, as Jesus is now, so are we in the world. Jesus is seated to the right, next to the right hand of the Father. He's totally glorified. What God wants to do in us is move us into this place of maturity that we love like he loves. Here's the reality for us. We all live from one of four sources. Say four. four. All right. It's not as simple as one, but let me tell you, we either live with God as our source. We live with self as our source. Like it's what I can do. It's what I can earn. It's, it's all of that stuff that, that you'll find yourself in striving with that. We live with others as our source. For those of you that are maybe a little bit more extroverted, it's not exclusive to extroverts. But what the enemy would love to do is take your wiring and use it against you. That you're supposed to overflow to people, but all of a sudden you're not doing okay if you're not around people who are meeting your needs and loving you the way that you need to be loved. You need to recognize, hey, God actually wants to be your source. He wants to bring you up out of that so that your, your joy, your peace, your righteousness isn't dependent and connected to the people around you, but it's actually dependent on God. That way you can change an atmosphere. You can bring heaven to earth instead of just reciprocate an atmosphere and, and reflect what's going on around you. Thank you. So God which is the healthy way, self, others, or our circumstances. For me, this is probably the biggest one. Am I doing okay? If I'm positioned the right way, if I'm doing the job that I want, if, I'm, if my bank account looks a certain way, and recognizing that my circumstances are not what define me, but it's actually the love of God. When we begin to live this way, it brings us into maturity that we can happen to our circumstances instead of our circumstances happen to us. All of a sudden, I'm de not defined by what's in my bank account. I'm not defined by what is going on around me, by my income level, by my friend group, by my position at work. I'm not defined by my circumstances, but instead, I'm defined by the love of God in such a way that what Paul says in Philippians 4, that I know what it is to have a lot and what it is to have a little. I know what it is to eat good food and to eat crumbs. And I know this, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And so when I live as God, with God as my source, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter where I am in the world. I'm okay. And now I'm living in maturity that I happen to my circumstances instead of my circumstances happening to me. That may not be where you are right now. You're like, man, I can't do that. Like, what God wants to do is he wants to bring you up out of that. It's possible. It's what you were created for. Here's what selfishness does to us. We, we live it out in one of two ways. We live it out in rebellion. We all know what that is. I'm just gonna go do my own thing my own way. But the other way we live it out, the more sneaky way we live it out is by a self-centered faith. That my faith is all about me. It's about how I'm feeling, what it can do for me. This is the problem with the, what I would say the caricature of the prosperity gospel is. Jesus died so that you could prosper. Let me just say that, right? Like he, 
The, the terms of what prosperity looks like depends on him and his relationship and call on your life. Prosperity is that you have enough to fulfill every good work that God has ordained for your life, right? It's not the amount in your bank account. It's the way that you live with overflow, okay? But, but what we'll do is we'll take that reality that God wants to provide everything that I need for what I'm called to do, and we'll begin to take those principles and apply them in two specific areas that it seems like we want to apply them to. One is to our finances, and the other is to our health. And we'll start to say that it's all about me, and this thing doesn't work if all of my things aren't okay. Here's what I call that spoiled brat syndrome. It's when I begin to think that God has to make my life all cushy for me to be okay. The problem with that is, is that you can't mature that way. Hebrews 12 says, endure hardship is discipline because God is treating you as kids. Is discipline so that we can, so that we would be refined so that we can share in his holiness and his holiness is so that we can see him. And so when we think, oh, it must not be God because that's hard, we're living in spoiled brat syndrome. Oh, it must not be God. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want to heal. God does not want you to be sick. But he, more than you being well, he wants you to be mature. And so he'll meet you in that place. Sometimes he'll heal you miraculously. Other times he'll take you on a journey because he's not interested in how you feel. He's not even interested in how you feel about him. He's interested in you maturing. He's not trying to be liked. He wants to love you. And it's very different. And I think, oh man, my finances are difficult. What happened, God? Oh, I'm actually maturing you. Right? I'm entrusting with, to you what you're capable of stewarding, and I'm maturing you. I want you to have enough to overflow generously. But right now you think that it's all about you and you're defined by your circumstances. So I'll let you find the bottom of your circumstances so that we can find our way up into life. It's not fun. And then the, the third area I left out, but it actually matters probably the most. So we have no context for suffering. And we think that God wants to keep us out of suffering. My goal as a parent is not that I would avoid disciplining my kids. My goal is not that my kids would like me, although I hope that they do. But what I answer to God for is, did I give them what they needed in order to mature and be who he's called them to be? And sometimes that means difficulty. Oftentimes suffering is not in relationship to your behavior or your performance. Sometimes suffering is because of other people's bad decisions, even their hate for you and for God. What matters in those situations is that I'm not defined by my circumstances. I'm okay with God in me. And so I, I reflect life no matter what. I'm not trying to fight back. Instead, I'm standing firm. All right, so then to receive well looks like this. God wants to love you, but you know that you're not the end. God loves to love you through other people. I love watching my kids love each other. Like when they play together, it makes my heart happy. God loves to love us 
through other people. In fact, he surrounded you with people that love you. If you're in this church, I promise you that you're surrounded by people that love you. It does not mean that you'll always experience it. In fact, sometimes you're surrounded by people that love you, but you can't experience it because your own stuff, your heart is heart. Your heart is heart and you're not willing to be vulnerable. Sometimes our inability to be vulnerable and to receive love is because we've made agreements based on the past or we've experienced trauma that we need to heal from. Don't allow your trauma to define you or keep you from receiving God's love. He wants to meet you in that place. But God wants to love you through other people. Then we realize this, that healthy relationship gives first. Right? Like if I'm in a healthy relationship, then I'm not waiting for somebody to give. I actually take the initiative. I'm intentional and I give first to other people. And I don't love people based on their like for me. The funniest thing, and I say this sometimes too, come home from being with some people and Laura and I are talking, you know, I really like that person. Here's what I'm actually saying. And this is what you're actually saying too. I really like that they like me so much. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, man, they like me. I like that. I think I like me too, so I'll like them. Instead of recognizing, hey, I'm going to give first. That's, that's Jesus, right? And it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you don't guard your heart. And it doesn't mean that you pass or you cast your pearls before pigs, right? Like we don't just give away everything to everybody but we can still love everybody. And to the extent that they're willing to let us in, we can love them. But what love does is it gives first. When you're just loving because you've been loved, because you've been liked, that's something different. That's I like being liked. That's okay. But it's not necessarily the way that we live in healthy relationship. We give first and then we trust that they're gonna come around and love the way that they see fit not the way that I see fit. In fact, some of us in relationship have tried to control the way that people love us. That's not love. That's control. And so it's okay to communicate what your needs are and how to be loved, but you can't control somebody else into that. And you know that when you have, it hasn't meant anything because it's actually you loving you through them. They've been like taken out of the whole picture. And so we let people love us and healthy relationships reciprocate in trust, not in demand. Sometimes God calls us to be in relationships, not for us, but for them. That's okay. Right? Like he's going to, it's like, man, see that one there? They're, they're really in a tough spot. I'm not sending you to them to get anything from them. I'm sending you to them because they need the love of God that I have put in you. So as I've been talking through all this, I want to land on this key is this. This is it. That unless I surrender 
I cannot trust. And when every area of my life is surrendered, I then can live open to the love of God in every area of my life. And so when we begin to struggle, it's actually because we haven't surrendered. And surrender, let me say it this way, surrender is not a one-time decision, it's a way of life. It's living open-handed with God. God, all that I am, all that I have is yours. I trust you. I give me to you. And you can have say in any area of my life. See, a bunch of us, we'd like to really get loved by God, but we want to hold on to our stuff. And we wonder why it won't work. But what surrender does, it says, God, have your way with me. This morning, as we wrap up, our ministry team can come forward and they'd love to pray with you. There's probably some folks here that you really just need to trust your whole life to Jesus. In fact, you've never even made that decision in the first place to say, God, I give you my life. I'll follow you. I receive your love. I recognize that you died on the cross, the greatest act of love. That you died on the cross for me so that I could be in relationship with you. You paid for my sin and you brought me close to you. That you rose from the dead to give me life. If that's you this morning, in a few minutes, a few moments, I'd love for you to come forward and just let our team pray with you. They would love to pray with you. There's also some of you that you're like, man, I know, I know Jesus, but I really don't know the Father's love. Like that whole living loved thing, I don't get that. And you want somebody just to pray with you for that, just to say, hey, I'm just gonna receive the love of God. God would love to meet you in that place. Some of you, your heart has been hardened to the spirit of God and you need to receive the spirit of God, the empowering presence of God to mark your life with his love, with his power. He's the seal of the deal. And then others of you, you just need to say, hey, I'm, I just, I surrender everything. I surrender all. You don't need anybody to pray for you. You just need to maybe where you're sitting or come up front, just find a spot and you can just pray to God and say, God, I give it up to you. These are the things I've been holding on to. I just give it up to you. But I believe that God wants to meet us this morning. Would you stand? Lord, we just welcome you into this place. Lord, we thank you for your love. Just put your hand on your heart. Lord, I invite your love to saturate my heart. Just pray that. Fill me with your love. respond as God leads you.